0: Welcome to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. I'm here, as always, with Mike Crimmins. Mike, how you doing? Zach, I'm good. All right. This is the first day of meteorological spring. Yes. You told me that. I did, Yep. What defines that?
1: The uh, meteorologist sees its shadow (laughs) and then runs back inside. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually um, the meteorological calendar is broken up into three-month units. December, January, February is winter. March,
0: April, May is spring. Well, that's good because we're going to do the the December, January, and February edition. DJF. So as always, we're, we're, we're here to talk about the, uh, the weather and climate. And so we're going to recap uh, this winter. And it's been a great winter if you're a ski bum, if you ask me. For sure. None yes. of us are ski bums.
1: Actually, I went cross-country skiing on the Catalina Mountains here just north of Tucson. Oh. I, and on that day, I may have been the... Lowest latitude cross-country skier in the <laughs> when world. Was, when was that? Uh, it was the second week
0: of January. This was the winter we thought we were going to have last winter. For
1: the last three years, this was the winter we thought we were going
0: to have. Go figure.
1: I know. I, all you I got to do is wait. That's climate right there.
0: It's been amazing for many of the the, the higher elevation areas across the West, including the northern reaches of, of Arizona, but most notably uh, California. We'll get into that because mm-hmm. there's been record numbers of... Atmospheric rivers—not a new term, but a term that's gaining quite a bit of favor in the media. Let's do a little recap. Southeast Arizona is is running uh, over the last 30 days at largely below 50% of their normal average, which is not a lot of precipitation to begin with. But you know, we've got to, we've had a few a few storms, but haven't amounted to that much. A two-week period of no weather in Arizona is
1: it's not saying much. We had some bursts of activity in late December. Um, right around the turn of the uh, new year. And then again, in sort of mid to late January. And then we actually went into a fairly warm and dry period here in the Southwest, which had some impacts on snowpack. Right. So we'll talk about
0: the snowpack in a minute. Let's just go back over the DJF period. Most of actually the northern half of of Arizona is trending at 150% of average or, or greater. And that largely reflects the trajectory of, of storms that have come in through the west coast.
1: If you look at some of the metrics, if we we take a look at just the just December and January west-wide precipitation totals, only the very far northwest part of the, of the whole western United States, and this is sort of uh, coastal uh, Washington and a little bit of inland Washington, and just a, a touch of sort of the panhandle of Idaho... Every place else in the entire western U.S. is running average to above average, which is quite, quite remarkable. So the storm track has been sort of weaving its way from, you know, northern California cutting across the northern Rockies and then visiting us way more frequently than we normally see in a winter, and especially in putting in comparison to the last couple of winters.
0: At the Tucson airport, we're just below average. Now, if you look at, let's see, northern Arizona, uh, Winslow, they're about an inch Inch above average in the last 30 and the last 90 days. They only get two inches to begin with. So quite a bit above average there. Phoenix is slightly above average. They get about three inches over the last 90 days and they're about 0.7 inches above average. Let's not forget Albuquerque in New Mm -hmm. Mexico. They even get less rain over the last ninety days on average, about one point seven inches. They're a uh, half an inch above above that average. So these are small totals, and they look really small when you when you go over to California. Yeah, we we have to pull this stuff up because uh, many of the higher elevation areas in California are at their maximum value. Yeah, if not their the top three uh, yeah. in their in their history, Blue Canyon, which is near Tahoe, they. On average get about sixty four inches over the last ninety days, so I mean this is this, this is, is <laughs> fairly yeah on average not too shabby, not right? too shabby, but yeah. they have a surplus of thirty two inches <laughs> no. and that's i mean just and when you translate that in the snowfall, yeah. so about ten inches per inch of yeah intense rain 1. it's it's quite impressive, so then the snowpack across the west for the most part, the interior west, well, from California, Utah. Colorado up into Wyoming and the southern half of Idaho and even Oregon. I mean, they the snow depth, the snow water uh, equivalent, the the water in the snow packs are all near their maximum percentiles, near their maximum ranks. You
1: know, we're talking not just a tiny isolated part or corner of California. We're talking about large, large swaths of large watersheds from California all the way to the interior, uh, intermountain west.
0: To get out of the Above average snowpacks, you have to come into Arizona, <coughs> despite the fact that in the sort of Mogollon Rim and in the Four Corners region, in the higher elevations, rather, Colorado Plateau region, we've experienced in Arizona above average precipitation, but our snowpacks, however, are below average.
1: You know, there's a couple different ways I think to look at this winter so far. A couple of ways we just went through a couple of these cities, and you know, we're we're looking at Tucson, Tucson for the water year up to the present date is, is trending a little bit below average. But one of the things I think is, is interesting about this winter is it's not because it hasn't precipitated a lot. The frequency, the, the number of rain days that Tucson has actually experienced so far since October 1st is 27. That's the average we would normally see for the entire October through May period. So the frequency of precip has been very consistent over time. We've had very few breaks that are longer than three weeks. Like the dry spells have been been very short. And you see this sort of pattern all over Arizona. It's not that we've gotten to this point with just two events that were in October that have pushed up the water year total. The timing and the frequency of the events has actually been fairly good. So even if we're not nailing the, the total right now, it has felt wet because it is, we're getting these storms and clouds come in, a break, a dry out for a couple of days. You know, again, this is what we thought was gonna happen with the El Nino activity of last year was this kind of frequency of events.
0: I should say though that the snowtell site near Mount Humphreys and Flagstaff is actually above average. So they're they're about 160 percent of average, and that's a high elevation site though. Yeah, so that one's at 10,000
1: feet. And so and again, this is the really interesting thing about snowpack in Arizona is that when we look at our snowtell sites across Arizona, we've got I think one or two that are above 9,000 feet, and one of them is on uh, Mount Humphreys. So there's a there's a site just south of there, this Whitehorse Lake one that you're looking at right now. That's actually at 28 percent of average. Well, it it was actually at above average ranks in snow water equivalent in early February, but we actually did have that warm up in early February, and we lost a lot of snowpack on all of our lower elevation stations, but the two high elevation stations, and especially Humphreys at that 10,000 foot level, it just didn't get touched. You know, even as it right. got warmer there, it was still below freezing. You didn't have any melt off there. These other lower elevation stations in Arizona are so marginal, as far as maintaining snowpack, right. I, that whole record
0: is is fairly noisy. That's important because as you, the the closer an area is to that sort of freezing line, yeah. the yeah. more sensitive they are to variations in the temperature. Totally, and
1: we we have trouble really maintaining consistent snowpack at our lower elevation stations in Arizona in a, in a in a normal year. But it has been warmer. That is for sure. And a couple of these warm spells have nuked. Snowpack, but in the background, the soil moisture is, is it's sopping wet everywhere in the high elevation areas of Arizona, and I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Uh, anytime soon. I mean, it will dry out, but it, it's it's much better than it has been in, in recent years. An
0: optimistic side to this is that the streamflow forecast for a lot of these major major rivers and and subsequently the the reservoirs are are looking good. they're, yeah. they're all above average.
1: Yeah, and so is that for Arizona? That's as for well? Arizona that's as well. That's, that's yeah. good. I mean, this is not it's not ideal to have it all as sopping wet soil moisture kind of working its way down into the streams. You really would want to probably have it at snowpack, but I, I think this is. It's not all that terribly unusual. I do think the warm conditions of this winter certainly haven't helped with those snowpack levels, but at the same time, it's been wet and there looks to be even some weather coming in the next couple of weeks. I don't think we're totally done yet. We don't have to call it. We don't have to even call winter over yet.
0: Right. We still have, let's well, just...
1: <laughs> it is spring. And spring's the, the if you've know, already been noticing is that the days have been getting longer, that sun is much higher. Man, that sun! Once it's out and in between clouds, it it feels like a it feels like March sun now, uh, which is our long, maybe not so long March towards our favorite month of June. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I ran that, up. Not, but let's not not talk about the that. The yet. doom and it's gloom. It's not of even June. in spring. It's March, April, May, right? We don't have to talk about June. No, yet. I much rather talk about the wild.
0: Wet and woolly winter. Let's do it, man. I'm
1: ready. That's I will. I will bask in the glory of this winter for many years. Now.
0: So you said a couple things. One was that we have been we we've received in Tucson at least uh, about 27 days of precipitation, yep. which marks our average for the, the winter.
1: Yeah. Well, the October through May period on average, we get about 26. October through May. Yeah. So I mean that that's that's including March, April, May. That hasn't happened yet. We've already we've already reached the number of days we usually see precip on right. it. Us but we've to only
0: that. we've only got half the amount of precipitation for that period.
1: Yeah, we're we're running below average for that period. So um, Tucson's got about three inches. By this date, we should have about three and a half. It's not like a, one of the super dry winters where we just it just didn't rain at all. I mean, it's and so what what has really been the this is the problem with any of our our monitoring is that this is at the airport. Right. There's been a lot of rain around Tucson, and even in Tucson, just miles away from the airport, there have been places that have gotten quite a bit more rain than this. And the mountains around here are very wet um, right. relative to this location, so they just it's just lucked out that when these events go by, the airport gets a, a you know a dribble of what. The other but I think the implication
0: today. is that we haven't experienced perhaps as large of events as we we otherwise would.
1: Not sure that's totally true because I think, again, it's the luck of the draw. It's it's looking at one particular station. If you kind of look around the rest of the state, Phoenix in particular has had a couple of near one-inch events. And this has been interesting. The The event that went through here, the storm system went through here yesterday, very, very wet across the middle part of the state. And through the Mogollon Rim again. So kind of like Gila County and then Yavapai County and then up towards Flagstaff all got quite a bit of rain out of this event. And Phoenix did way better than we did. And again, this is one of these things where the winter storm systems can
0: be. We're a little out of that fetch of that moisture sometimes in the tracks of these storms. Given that we have low snowpack in Arizona, largely because of the warm-up event, or that it's been warmer in, in February. But have the storms that have come in been warmer themselves. So is the snow line this year just higher than maybe we otherwise would expect? That's a really good question. The track of the storm,
1: we've had just about every kind of storm that you could get in winter. We've had it this winter. We've had some some very, a handful of sort of very low snow level storms that have put down good snow. We've had a fair share of sort of these low latitude subtropical jet screamers that have come across that are like the atmospheric river events that have pummeled California that have had lots of moisture with them, but not a lot of cold air. So the snow levels have been high. So sort our pathway to get to this point with our precip totals has been a, a potpourri mm-hmm. of weather events.
0: So before moving along from the snowpack, I, I'm just looking at the record set at a number of high elevation snow tell in our uh, nat- natural resources conservation service snow monitoring sites. And there are probably 30 of, of the records that have been set in California alone, the highest or the second highest, which is just super impressive. It is impressive, yeah. Um, but then, of course, also uh, in the mountains close to Salt Lake City and in parts of, of of Colorado. So, I mean, there's probably in any decent winter, there's probably a few records yeah, set. But to do that but, many,
1: I'm looking at your map here and I'm just, it's, I'm blown away. It's like Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, and California all have stations that have broken records.
0: Right, and I guess if you wanted to, you know, look at the the record highs versus record lows, there's probably a forty to three, yes. fifty to three <laughs> yeah. ratio. Yeah, and there's been a few record lows or second. There's lo- uh, uh, four. four, four, yeah, in up in uh, Montana, Montana yep. and and that's uh, just just Idaho. south of that storm track that's sort of you know moved yeah. through the west.
1: You know they just have been slightly left out of the, out of the action. I
0: don't want to go into El Nino la Nina quite yet, but you I know it's it's who dr- needs
1: El Nino la Nina <laughs> yeah. who cares if we can get winters like
0: this i'm done with I'm done with them they're dead to me so one of the defining characteristics of of this winter so far has been these atmospheric rivers in any given winter we experience them this year, however. There's been 30 that have struck the coast, the the west coast, which is substantially more. I had heard, uh, and I'm not sure, don't fact check me on this, but I, I had will heard. We'll do it in real time. <laughs> in any given any given year, it's about seven. But I I think that has to be an underestimate because if wow. we've had 30 this year,
1: I don't know. I seven could could be realistic. I mean, you know, an atmospheric river is a is a pretty specific type of weather event, and that's not to mean that every rainstorm that hits California is an atmospheric river. So it's you know it's got a very specific characteristic. So
0: I don't know seven seven could be right. These events are t- tend to be identified by their integrated water vapor transport. So it's looking yeah. at a column of atmosphere. It's 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 tallying up the the moisture within that column, but also looking at the speed at which that column of air is is moving through. And that's how they sort of identify these. These features they tend to be long east west, thousands of kilometers. Yep, couple very narrow and very narrow, Mm -hmm. like three to four hundred kilometers wide. And so if you're looking at a map and you're looking at like an integrated water vapor map, it looks like looks like a river.
1: Yeah, this is like a looks like a long fire hose from
0: low latitude tropical areas across the Pacific. We're looking at a graph here by uh, Marty Ralph, who is one of the leading experts on atmospheric rivers. And I just want to read off a a, a few of these uh, um, points here. Uh, According to him, that between October 1, 2016 and and middle February, February 16th, 2017, there's been 30 atmospheric rivers that made landfall over California. And quote unquote, this is much greater than normal, although we don't know what normal is. (laughs) Yeah. 30% 30% of these events have been uh, strong or or of extreme str- strength. I think there's a certain climatology where they tend to start, they hit the West Coast further north sort of earlier in the year and then sort of make their way down. Yeah, they should follow the storm track progression from, from north to south. And these are events that obviously have produced some of the greatest disaster precipitation-related disaster events, wind wind-related as well. On record, they're associated with warm conditions because they tap into tropical moisture. That's been the story. What- it's been amazing. And so you see on that, this graphic of some of the stats here is, uh, an, on average,
1: an atmospheric river had made landfall every 4.6 days this winter. And it's and it seems like you know listening to the news reports and we were actually watching we had a project with the Federal Emergency Management Agency watching some of the reports there. That's all that they were thinking about for the last DJF for the December, January, February period was, was dealing with these this parade, literal parade of storms. And again, that was the kind of parade of storm I thought we were going to deal with last winter.
0: So, Just one one winter off. So let's try to make sense of this. Like what? Good luck. <laughs> okay, well, should we, should we, should we end this <laughs> no, right I w- now? I want to see where you're going with this. I <laughs> well, no, I was actually going to turn this over to you. I was going to hope you that because, you were going to... Because, you know, my brain wants to come up with some sort of... What's the pattern? What's the explanation? Could yeah. we have, did we have any insight into whether or not this was going to occur? Is this just like, are we just, you know, grasping at straws here? I mean, I mean, I I get it that this is sort of an anomalous situation. Like these these kinds of winters don't happen very often, and f- judging by the snowpack, they've never happened for many parts uh, of of the West. But can we make any sense out of this? What's what's your take on it?
1: Uh, my take is is that. It, it just feel like we're reeling it's like 3 years now of we thought it worked that way and it turns out it probably doesn't work that way and this was another year where for all intents and purposes us and remember think back to our conversations in the in the fall here and we were leaning on the the forecast seasonal forecast coming up for sliding into la nina conditions and then that would put us expectations of Probably a ridge over the Pacific and the East Pacific, and then storm track would shift north, and then you'd get more activity through the Pacific Northwest, and then the forecast came out, and they were wet, Pacific Northwest, and then so it started probably middle of California south to the southwest. We were supposed to go dry. Well, uh, Los Angeles has had two months in a row with record break, all-time record breaking total precip, La Nina, <laughs> La Nina winter. So, you know, maybe we could have reasoned out in our head that during La Nina, weak La Nina, maybe neutral if it wasn't going to gonna go to full tilt, that the Madden-Julian oscillation may become more active. And there's some evidence that that has some connections to the, some of these atmospheric river events, at least sort of the timing, cyclical nature of them, and that storm track would retreat north. That's kind of what we were leaning on, right? Well, instead, the southwest from Arizona, New Mexico, all the way up through the southern part of Washington has received above average precipitation through all sorts of different mechanisms. And central part of California gets pummeled and is now, some of the stations are on track to break the 8283 record, which was the El Nino record that we were concerned about last year of sort of epic and record flooding. Well, we did it during a year that didn't seem to have much seasonal forecasting skill. And it's been interesting to watch the climate forecasting community discussed this in sort of blogs and in listservs and then the tropical meteorologists. Everybody really is scratching their head at how strange the pattern has been across the Pacific
0: for the entire winter. Yeah. So the experts the experts who pay attention to this, they're sort of scratching their head. Yeah.
1: I mean these are these are like, you know, 40, 50 year veteran forecasters are trying to make sense of they use terms like bizarre world and Head scratching uh, weather patterns across the Pacific, and there there's a lot of really weird stuff going on. And we'll, and we'll get to this sort of um, discussion about the sea sort of sea surface temperature patterns across the Pacific as
0: well. Well, let's uh, start there. Do you let's, want to start yeah, there? Let's go there. I'll let you finish your explanation of. Uh, I don't. I don't have one.
1: Like I. I don't. I. I mean, if these. If this community doesn't know, I don't know either.
0: I, you know, I think that the but, the. but there is a few things that maybe we can say leading into this sort of weakish La Nina winter, Mm -hmm. which was that there was no sort of strong tug on the atmosphere and sort of the background state was such that maybe there would be more latitude for the weather and the sort of variability of weather to take hold. I mean, if you look at some of the, in Arizona at least, some of our wettest winters have been during uh, neutral years. and. Yeah, this was a. I think it'll go in the books, right? Officially, go in the book as a as a uh, a La Niña event, a weak La Niña event. It's not out of the possibilities f- for these sort of weather, th- these sort of potpourri of yeah. uh, of winters that can have all kinds of of, of flavors of, of of storms to unfold in in this sort of a uh, yeah. weakened La Niña state.
1: And I think I think we, I think without any information, we leaned on that. I think the last couple of podcasts was saying that weather. Weather would rule, you know, and the climate signals were weak. What surprised me was that we didn't have more long breaks. And, you know, we get into this sort of ridge, drop back into a, a trough and a, a weather system come by. I'm surprised that we've had more moisture to work with than I thought we would. I think what's surprising is that the, the strength of the subtropical jet and that sort of characteristic of looking very sort of El Nino-ish, this long, straight, strong jet focused across the whole Pacific at California and then the Southwest— is kind of the hallmark of a uh, El Nino year, not not the the pattern we'd see here.
0: Can we have a twelve month lag? in no. El no, Ni- <laughs> <laughs> <I>, um, <laughs> nobody's yeah, going to write that paper. N- nobody's going to write that paper. No, <laughs> there's I, no, I, like, nothing con- dynamic, conser- dynamical that would link <laughs> that
1: conservation of El Nino impacts. <laughs> the that they, I felt like El Nino owed us, but I didn't think there was any <laughs> sort of physical mechanism that was going to wow. exercise that but it it paying happened. it's debt. i feel like it i feel like it was almost like guilted into delivering that winter it showed up late and was like oh man I was, I was sorry i i i didn't realize this was i didn't realize we were live so then it just kind of gets it back together and there's some of the discussion that the tropical meteorologists were noting that the warm water warm pool kind of la nina signal actually did exist in the west pacific kind of had that standing wave there really wasn't the typical canonical downstream pattern that would have, there was, all, there was all this other sort of weather variability going on. There's been pretty rapid warming of uh, sea surface temperatures in the East Pacific now, which we'll sort of talk about in transition. What does that actually mean? The Madden-Julian oscillation was actually pretty much non-existent until the last 30 days. It reared up and was one of the, I th- believe, one of the strongest on record and then cruised around the planet in 30 days and then has disappeared. <laughs> so it's like this crazy cameo that it, came on the scene, did a bunch of crazy stuff and then it's gone. And then there's been a lot of focus as some forecasters are on the stratosphere and waiting for the polar vortex split that was expected to come. Couple of those events have sort of come and gone.
0: I'd argue that all of these events are playing out in any given winter.
1: I don't know. I think that there's been magnitude issues though. Can you do all of these impressive extremes all at once? Hmm. Or typically do you get like one thing sort of rear up and and everything else sort of is fading into the background? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have real good context for this, but you know, just sort of following some of the other discussions, there's a lot of people who study very specific things who are saying, wow, that's interesting. This happened this winter. But everybody all at once saying their they're interesting thing, you know, like somebody who studies atmospheric rivers gets 30. Somebody who studies sudden stratospheric warming events and polar vortex gets a couple of extremes. Somebody who studies Madden-Julian oscillations gets one of their I mean, it's kind of nuts, isn't it? It's wild and woolly. It's wild and woolly. And, you know, there's the sea ice issue, you know, is probably coming into play with the, the sort of polar dynamics. All this warm water at the equator has got to be exercising itself in some way in the system. Yeah, there's I, a, I there's mean, a lot. We of, had
0: just pumped the most heat into the atmosphere yeah. in the last year that we've ever yeah. experienced. Yeah, so you know, and, I mean. we got a supercharged it, yeah, we're, system. Yeah, we're ripe for a
1: lot of, probably a lot of extremes to start to emerge now. And we're right for a lot of good research to come out of this as well.
0: All right. Let's take a little bit of time and, and talk about this La Nina event and how it sh- took shape and how it might take shape in uh, going forward. Like we said before, we've had this week sort of hovering around the 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 threshold value of a of a negative 0.5 degrees Celsius yeah. sea surface temperature averaged over a particular region in the tropical Pacific Ocean that was persistent for a f- what a few a few months that's basically waned and in fact it's waned to the part most recently where the, the temperatures are actually trending toward yeah. um, warmer than average
1: yeah they are yep
0: is that at all related to the manjulian oscillation
1: there's probably some some seasonal aspects to this i don't i don't really know off the top mm-hmm. of my head if if that's that's sort of forcing this variability i i think if you look at the the trace we started to decline the El nino the super Godzilla Nino of last year it followed its very typical seasonal path of of waning in last spring. You know we looked at the past 97, 98 El Nino that thing cratered into a very deep La Nina very quickly by the summer we were in you know deep record territory with um La Nina event. This one just never really gained a lot of steam and it it bumbled along on like that negative point five as we talked about. I think that was just part of its trajectory. I don't know why. I think there's sort of larger dynamics at play as to why this La Nina really couldn't get traction. And now it is sort of moving in the warmest direction. And there's some subsurface water, warm water coming across the equatorial Pacific. And there's crazy warm water that's emerged across South American coast, which you were Talking about as far as at the beginning of the podcast, extremely well. warm yeah. right off, yeah,
0: the per- coast of Peru. Yeah,
1: what'd you call it? And what, you read that it was a,
0: it was a, a n- coastal El Nino which advisory I, in Peru. I'd never heard of that before. I don't know if they have a coastal El Nino. The really warm water conditions there can be related to coastal flooding and increased precipitation in, in Peru, and I think that's what they've been experiencing in the last couple weeks.
1: It's like a a very local phenomenon. Right. right on the coast, but is not expressing itself across the acquire, the entire pacific Ocean, so it's not a it's not a it's not a El nino, but it's like this micro el nino along the coast it's interesting because what
0: we rely on up here in the southwest is these teleconnections right? yeah yeah,
1: like, you need a reorganization of the global circulation to get it to do something
0: right for for our region for peru there's there can be these local effects yeah. that just uh, occur if the if the sea surface temperature. You know, is warm enough? It can create perhaps its own sort of weather there.
1: Yeah, which is pretty remarkable.
0: Uh, I want to go back and say that this will actually enter the uh, history books as an official. Uh, oh, it's going to make La Nina it so uh, slacker, though. Look at those <laughs> numbers. I was like phoning it in. It's a weak La Nina, but nonetheless, it's going to it's going to enter into into the books. Um, and so, y- Another, so there- this is
1: ruin our statistics further. <laughs> Just think about this. Wet winter, a La Nina dot. Hey, it adds another one. It adds another
0: <sighs> end. All my plots are going to be all messed up. Ugh. This is interesting. So in the last month or so, I, don't, I wasn't actually listening to what you were saying, you said, <laughs> <laughs> which is nor, 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 normally the case. <laughs> it's good. Good for you. Um, <laughs> it's like my there's family. There's been a trending toward an El Nino. I, I did read that some of the more sort of reliable or, or, or some good models are actually picking up on this. Your favorite model. Yeah, the, you yeah. know, they're, not all of them are. And we're out far enough where there's a lot of hesitation about what's going to happen. Spring predictability. Ver- I couldn't even say it. Right.
1: Spring pre- predictability. Right. Say it for me.
0: Spring, Spring. predictability barrier in these ENSO forecasts yes. because this tends to be a transitional period. Yeah, yeah. You,
1: start to, you start to see the seasonal cycle sort of interfere with the ENSO cycle.
0: But because some of these models that maybe are a little bit... More representative, or I'm using or, my air quotes, yeah, better that it's, are picking up on this. If you look at the CPC and the IRI seasonal forecasts, they're slightly leaning toward El Nino conditions for the upcoming uh winter, uh, fall and winter. So,
1: well, I think probably more fair way to say it is that it's slightly edging out the chance of a neutral, yeah. I, I, and this is the super conservative probably take on this is that the chance of a La Nina next winter are. Not very good, but it's a, probably a coin flip on whether we get well, into an El Nino or something.
0: Well, it is, and if you look at the, the the probabilities here, it's like the the chances of neutral for the up for the the fall season are basically at their climatological average. Yeah, that's right. Good point. They've just replaced the probabilities for La Nina and transferred it over to the probabilities of, yeah, uh, right. of El Nino. But no, there's some <laughs> reason, to, there's some no, reason makes to believe sense. that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So it's edging out its climatological probability of El Nino and it's it's meeting its...
0: It could have, have placed that in, in neutral though. It could have taken yeah, yeah. from yeah. El Nino or La Nina and put yep. it in neutral. So and you're right.
1: Kidding. So it's a, it's a bit of a lean. Gosh, we've been here before. What is it going to take to kick this thing in the pants to get it to be an El Nino? It's going to be all those things we talked about in the last couple of years is looking for westerly wind bursts. It's gonna be the tropical storm activity in the Western Pacific. It's gonna be those Kelvin waves that are kind of coming across the Pacific Ocean and just seeing what we can sort of make out of this.
0: Do you think the winter can can keep this up so far? Yeah, I do. So you think you're- I'm ex- a believer now. <laughs> yeah. I have to say though, I, I mean, this was offline, off but minutes ago, going back to the El Nino, underneath your breath, <laughs> You're saying, I think it's going to come back. <laughs> yes. No, I
1: tell me, who cares though? Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's the that's, thing is I have this weird dissonance in my head now. I'm excited about this wet winter and I'm hearing an El Nino is coming and I don't care because it, I don't have any idea what it'll mean. It does not in any way mean that next winter will be awesome like this winter. All right. Right. It'll probably let me down again. So I'm just kind of living in the moment. March is a busy month. Yeah. Yeah. It, what, do you have stuff going on? Got a or? lot of shopping to do. I, that's what I was wondering, I was like, what do you?
0: No. What do you? Cli- Weather wise. Gem clim- show or clim- climate <laughs> wise? Climate wise. Climate uh, wise. Uh Yeah, it, it
1: can be. So March, so February, March, April, February, March, really. April is very generous. March is still a. It's still got some action in it, you know, climatologically, anyways, for the Southwest. And if you look at the the weather forecasts over the next couple of weeks, it you know, one more sort of long wave pattern storm system kind of is able to squeak itself out. The problem we start to get now is the storm track is going to start lifting back towards the north. The access to moisture is going to be harder because the storms are going to be a little bit warmer. So for us to get good soakers out of this, it's going to have to be these kind of low latitude subtropical jet pulling in subtropical moisture. And our snow, quite honestly, season is probably winding down mm-hmm. right isn't i think for the southwest i think march 1st is peak snowpack mm. for the southwest and i think april 1st is everybody everybody, everybody else here. so yeah. <clears throat> i think what we got now is what we got um for the southwest well if, but i think it could we could squeak out another couple two i years.
0: mean if the bottom fell out and we didn't get any more precipitation at, at least at the international airport in tucson, tucson yeah we'd be roughly at what what are we at 3 and the average is 5 yeah
1: that would not be good i mean if it's 60% yeah that would that would be not a great finish so you know i think for tucson if we can pick up another inch i think i would be okay with that it would still put us probably below average but the frequency of events um wouldn't be too bad there, there's this other weird part of me now is like well if this el nino signal sort of emerges and there's sort of any sort of sinking with the atmosphere at all could we have this weird april may that activity that we had the last couple yeah, of years yeah it happened the last
0: couple of years yeah and it
1: and it there is some evidence that it had some atmosphere connections in the tropics to the mid latitude
0: so what 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 pattern would that produce then
1: well it was kind of uh, it's a, it's a good question I, I remember it being sort of a in the correlation patterns anyway sort of a trophiness uh, across the, you know, it could be this sort of idea of a closed low or cutoff lows wandering across Southwest and accessing some of that East Pacific moisture, which is what it had been able to work with. Uh, that's pretty far fetched at this point, but man, if we did that, can you imagine if we had precip, you know, I'm always like, if it rains in April, I'm yeah, it's completely mystified. Gift. Yeah. I just, I don't even know how it works. And actually, last May we That's had right. this we were kind all of, mystified about that well, it was weird we had this weird troughiness, which meant kind of low pressure systems across the southwest and it also meant cooler than average temperatures. Those La Nina years have passed. we would have already in March been looking towards the blow dryer weather pattern setting up, getting very warm, very dry, and then just waiting for the monsoon to show
0: up all right, Mike so thanks for ending this with sort of a rosy picture of. Uh you know. what did I do? Well, what you you're you're optimistic about, you know, March continuing. Oh yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. I was I
1: don't know if you're extending my forecast all the way out into the spring. No. I was musing. I wasn't forecasting at that point. It's <laughs> <just> like <laughs> right. a busy month. Really.
0: Okay, so thanks everybody. This has been another installment of the Mike Crimin show. <laughs> <laughs> um thanks for tuning in. We'll come back uh, maybe sometime close to the first of April, April Fool's Day. And all right, have a good, have a good March. The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of CLEMIS, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program, and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a Principal Investigator with CLIMAS, a Professor of Soil, Water, and Environmental Science in the College of
1: Agriculture and Life Sciences, and Climate Extension Specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a Research Scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA Program Manager of the International Research and Applications Program podcast is edited and produced by ben mcmahon research outreach and assessment specialist with clemas
0: (laughs) how do i read this graph um
1: yeah i don't know i don't know where that came from so